Thank you for calling Ira. What would you like to do today? Welcome to IraCast, the official podcast of Ira Tech Corp. Episode 25, Out and About. I'm your host and producer, Janine Stanley, and in this episode of IraCast, we feature explorer Pat Pound, Emily Hill and I talk hands-free, and in the agent spotlight, Gwen Ross. Hi, everyone. It's Janine Stanley back with you in episode 25 of IraCast as we go out and about. Yes, we are opening up the world again, step by step, very carefully and safely, we hope. We certainly hope that you all are doing well out there. In this episode, we're going to get some wonderful tips for navigating airports and other public places from Pat Pound. We're also going to talk with Emily Hill about hands-free. Yes, hands-free is still a thing, folks. And then in the agent spotlight, we have Gwen Ross. First, though, we have a little bit of news for those of you in Australia. We now, thanks to Ryan Bishop, our customer account manager, have a method of working with NDIS, which is the National Disability Insurance Scheme there in Australia. So if you would like to have your IRA service funded by your NDIS account, just contact us at support at ira.io and we will be happy to help you set that up. Now, it's time. Get your cane, harness your guide dog, get your phone, get your battery, get your headphones, get all of your gear, because it's time to go out and about. We're talking with explorer Pat Pound today, and Pat is a consultant with the organization Open Doors, and that's actually the Open Doors Organization, or ODO, as many people have seen that abbreviation. And Pat, first of all, hello and welcome to IraCast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, tell us a little bit first about what is Open Doors as an organization and what do you do for them? Okay. Open Doors began about 20 years ago. Our uh, executive director and founder, Eric Lipp, uh, had uh, a serious illness and as a result of that had a mobility impairment and as he went back to work he found that the thing that was most um, difficult for him was travel and it just kept bothering him and he thought you know people with disabilities shouldn't have to put up with this level of service and these difficulties so he quit his job and he started Open Doors organization and I think what I love most, I've worked with them as a consultant, which does not mean full-time. It was post-retirement for me, so I was not interested in full-time work. Uh, but um, the mission is to enable people with disabilities to, to fully participate as consumers, especially in the travel and hospitality industries. Um, and what I noticed, uh, I got to meet them when I was on the National Council on Disability in, and we had a meeting in Chicago. And so I got to meet with them and I knew at that time I was about to retire. And I noticed that they did not have a blind person doing the blindness work. And so I asked Eric if he was interested in exploring what that might mean. So what I've done over time is um, 
done things like we did, we contracted to do user verification testing for airline and airport websites. Oh. And we've continued to do that beyond the federal requirements uh, with various different entities. And we push the mobile apps just because that's what travelers like to yes. use anyway, <laughs> regardless of whether the federal government has required it. Um, so that's an ongoing kind of thing. I've done their uh, work related to uh, service animals and emotional support dogs and um, and also just knowing them. I, I uh, follow a lot of folks on Twitter and so I send them, I keep them supplied with the blindness technology information. Um, that's sort of the tie-in with Ira. Um, tell us a little bit about Open Doors and Ira and that connection. Well, um, I became an explorer, and so at one of our conferences, we do a conference every two years called Universal Access in Airports, and it's really just limited to airport people because we have cruise people come and we have airport people come, airline people come, etc. But um, so I got to demonstrate Ira to a group of the airline people who came to the airport conference in a small setting. And so I offered to them, uh, the ones that were not familiar with it, I offered to them to follow me around in the hotel because I was going to be using it all week. And many did. So I looked like the Pied Piper. But <laughs> at least it gave them a real, real sense of the kinds of things it could be used for and the, the freedom it gave me to move around a, an unfamiliar environment. So, you know, I've never had so many people go out to, to take my dog out with me <laughs> ever before. <laughs> and many airports now are part of the IRA Access Network, so kind of learning what that means was probably a great experience for a lot of the airline and airport folks. Well, and the cool thing, of course, is we had group meals, and so I met the, the Houston, uh, Tim in Houston. Oh, yes. In fact, I've been trying to persuade Austin. So he sits there at breakfast and, and tweet in uh, messages the Austin people he knows. <laughs> <laughs> and we That's finally great. got Austin. So I was, I was extremely happy about that. It's like the ultimate networking. Uh, um, Absolutely. Carrying this forward into where we are now in the uh, post-COVID era. Well, I guess it's uh, present COVID era. Um, <laughs> so... You and I were talking about ways once we get back up and going, and people are already starting to fly again. They're starting to go places tentatively. But there are some serious things that we need to think about. And let, let's talk a little bit about those as you travel through an airport. And the, probably the first one is that whole social distancing thing. How do you manage to social distance and yet get assistance in the airport? Well, as you said, this is all new to everybody, but it's particularly new to blind travelers because, you know, all of us who travel, we've worked out our systems. Well, now a lot of those systems don't work. And so, you know, grabbing someone's arm for a sighted guide is not social distancing. Exactly. And not so, to mention that, you know, they have told us for so long, sneeze into your elbow. Yes. And your first thought of sighted guide is, ew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like the last place you'd want to grab. I think we're inventing as we go. 
uh, Eric asked me what, you know, he said, look, the companies are, are starting to write their policies. What shall we tell them? And I went, I don't know. And he said, well, we got to know. And so I said, okay, if I was traveling right now and had to social distance, and I know this is, it's just what I would do. I said, I would actually always carry a folding cane along with having my dog with me. I would actually unfold my cane and ask them to hold the, the other end of it. Mm-hmm. Now, I would never ask someone to do that normally, obviously. All right. know that. We don't want people to do that. But these are different times. So if I want to social distance and I want a guide, that's what I personally would do. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you know, some people can follow visually if they have enough vision. Some dogs have been taught to follow. So there's, you know, there's all kind of, I guess what I came out with for the companies is, absolutely the most important thing is to ask the person how they can best assist you uh, knowing that we're all supposed to social distance and wear masks and all that kind of thing the other thing i asked the company personnel to do was tell me if others are wearing masks because i want to know yes i'm wearing absolutely. mine for them i want to know if they're wearing theirs for me absolutely and, and that's not something i can tell Sure. And if you're going into, say, a waiting area to find a seat, you know, I want to know who around me is is protected and not protected, and right. et cetera, and what the kind of the layout is and what the spacing between seats is that people are observing. Right. You know, I was talking to an agent and asked how it was going on COVID, and they said, you know, the, the marks on the sidewalks are not so hard, you know, the, the little X's oh, to, yeah. you know, to find those and tell people. But they said, you know, you may direct somebody into an aisle that's completely vacant and all of a sudden four people show up and they're all going different ways. Yes. <laughs> you know, it reminded me of a pinball machine. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, or an anthill. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, we're just going to all have to feel our way into this uh because you know they're going to be doing the best they can but they can't control the actions of other people exactly one really good suggestion that you came up with was using the dreaded and hopefully not too hard to get now paper towel as kind of a (laughs) barrier when you are um, having to take somebody's arm or touch their shoulder or something to at least have that barrier right yeah, uh, and I think gloves may be necessary for certain things, but particularly in an airport, I think having paper towels or a baggie you could stick your hands in. I've also thought about yeah, yeah, yeah I, that's I something all of my, us. My dogs, my dogs' poop bags, you know, one yep. on each hand. Yeah, all of <laughs> us I with guide dogs. <laughs> right, would have that option, mm-hmm. and so I think we're just going to have to think through what we're most comfortable with, but. And it it seems like it's important. I mean, I know folks in wheelchairs can't, you can't get a push in a wheelchair and be be six feet apart or five feet apart, you know? So I know some of them are just having to give up on on that Mm -hmm. to fly. But so we have to decide not only what is important to us, but what also is important to that other person. Because it's not just us that are affected when we don't social distance. And so first of all, I wear my mask anytime I'm off of my property. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, I don't necessarily have to wear it if I'm walking in the neighborhood, but I do. 
just because I don't know for sure, unless I'm using Ira, um, how far people are. And they may or may not be talking and making noise. Sure. So I just figure that's the best thing I can do. And there's a lot of other things I can't do. The other thing I think we both have talked about is, and I'm going to do some things on Twitter. I, I would like people to say something or ask me if I need help mm-hmm. because I'm going to be in a lot of previously comfortable environments that have now changed. Yes. Owls are blocked off and arrows are put down that I don't know are there. Chairs are on tables. There's a sanitation station I'm supposed to visit that I don't know where it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I may need help but not even know they're there. So I think it's a time that we need to just say, look, social distancing is really hard for blind folks and we want to respect others, but we need your help to help us do that. Yep, absolutely. And whether you are using IRA or not, it's just a good habit to get into for, you know, sighted folks. And I've said that I think that once we get past, you know, and we're all excited to get out and about and we're all being careful, that's going to end probably in about two or three weeks and we're all going to slide back into our old habits. And, you know, what does that mean to how safe we are as blind people knowing where other people are? So the IRA kind of hashtag is if you see someone say something (laughs) yeah i that's really important and and i think the more we say that to people the more i think people are afraid to do something wrong and so they do nothing right right. and uh restrooms are going to be important because you're closer to people than you want to be and it's just probably a fact and that's one of the areas where ira really can't help because right we we don't you know, provide the service in restrooms. And just a refresher for everybody why we don't, uh, it's because many states have laws against streaming video in public restrooms. And so we err on the side of caution and we do not uh, provide our service in restrooms. So just a refresher there. Um, So have you been using Ira to uh, check on these things? And how has that gone for you as you're out and about? (laughs) Well, I must admit, I'm older, so I'm in one of the the high-risk groups, so I haven't Mm -hmm. gone too much. I've gone a little bit. I needed to UPS some stuff, so I did that. I did go to my hairdresser almost by accident. I was walking down just to see if she was open, Mm -hmm. and then I was going to play by the rules and and call for an appointment, and she's so fast that I was with someone and we were headed back to the car. She's so fast that she popped her head out the door and said, I can do you between this one and my oh, next appointment. Oh, wow. so, so I felt like I'd been given the hugest gift of the year. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> An unexpected, unplanned for haircut. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But possibly a much needed one at this point, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. My, long, my hair was longer than it's been since I was a teenager. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm a swimmer, so I don't, long hair and I don't coexist very mm-hmm. well. Now we're going to tackle the topic that a lot of people have asked before this whole pandemic thing came up. And it's a, it's a one that usually people who are contemplating using IRA in the airport will ask. So do I get airport help or do I just use IRA or how do I balance that out? So what would, what would you suggest or what are your thoughts on that? It kind of depends on 
your comfort level with Ira, because if, if you used it in other settings, you may feel comfortable enough to use it uh, independently. That's what I did my first time, my very, very first trip. However, I was taking an airline that was new to our airport and I was new to it. So that was different. But the first time I had a tight plane change, I used both the airport service and IRA. Oh and I just explained it to the, the worker and mm -hmm. to the IRA agent. And that helped me get a feel for whether I could work with it in, in tight, tight time situations. Mm -hmm. And that's a great piece of advice. Yeah, it worked very well. So it's kind of up to you, but there's no harm in doing it along with the person. And it's good for that worker to experience that because, you know, and by the way, I've been having workers tell me, and they're not supposed to do it, but tell me they can't go into relief areas with you. Oh. And that's untrue. But mm -hmm. I think what they do is, since I can't go into restrooms, they just translate. Oh, they, they just do, you know. restrooms. Right, Or maybe right. they don't want to. Anyway, well, I yes. don't know. And it's you sort know, of whatever. like the, the joke about going through TSA with, oh, I need a male agent for a male dog. You know, it doesn't <laughs> yes. really matter. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I always say she doesn't care. <laughs> That's right. Now, how have the, the service companies, the um, – Prospect and some of the other companies that uh, provide the service personnel to airports, how have they reacted to IRA? I think very well. I, I, it's, it's such a small percentage of their work as blind people mm -hmm. that initially I thought they would react that it was going to help because it would lessen their workload because they are seeing huge increases in the number of folks in chairs and, and right. folks with mobility impairments that they're helping. So you know, they're constantly struggling with amount of staff availability and keeping people trained and getting, you know, people that, that they can keep and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it, it, it hasn't lessened their business substantially, but they understand it and they understand the freedom that it can get blind people. Because even if you got airport services say to your gate then you can get up and go to the restroom when you want to or you can go get that birthday card you forgot right and, you know look at those cool airport shops and <laughs> exactly so you don't have to be as bored as you previously were <laughs> or feel as stuck yes and i think that's the part that i love about using ira in the airport is i used to feel like a piece of luggage you know i kind of got parked in a place yes. and then i and and it was my own because you know nothing was stopping me from getting up and exploring but it was really exhausting you know yes. first of all you're and you're lugging. usually tired by that time, well, you know, exactly and then you're lugging your if you do a carry-on you're lugging that behind you and everything and then trying to you know really keep track of your o&m and asking people and yes. it's just a lot and having somebody that's got your back as an agent who can explain where things are and what they are that just takes a lot of stress off right of it makes folks. it enjoyable actually exactly. well i i realized how much i valued it uh one of my uh trips last summer was to dc for a conference and i got to the airport like two or three hours early mm -hmm. well i knew that was the case when i booked my flight 
But I thought, oh, well, I can bum around using Ira. Well, guess what? My phone battery was on the fritz. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so oh. I ended up being luggage. And uh, oh, because, no. you know, I really had to have it to call Uber on the way home. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm going to ask you the thing that a lot of blind people struggle with. And, and believe me, we rant about and this has to do with the service companies bringing a wheelchair and insisting <laughs> that we sit in it. So yes. what, what are your thoughts on this and what, what have, has been done in terms of advocacy or training or whatever to, to help them understand why we get so upset about this? Yeah, every time I see or talk to service agency people, I always mention it because they tend to think it's getting better whether it is or not. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I keep mentioning it, then they keep putting it in their newsletters out to their staff. Hey, mm -hmm. that's cool. I like it. Good. Okay. Just so everybody understands what they're facing, they frequently have just dropped somebody off, but they didn't have time to come drop off the chair to its appropriate place. And the airports often have pretty strict rules about where they can leave stuff. And they don't exactly have like their own office. Right. You know? uh, so it's not as pretty a picture as we might want to paint. So the fact that they come with it doesn't mean we have to use it. Mm -hmm. And of course, some, some workers really like for people to sit in chairs because then they can walk at whatever pace they like. Right. Uh, so, you know, sometimes it's a, a worker thing. <laughs> anyway, you can just say, no, I prefer to walk. And I can tell you, once I got a dog, people, because they couldn't quite envision how you could sit in a chair and what you would do with a dog. Yes. <laughs> so, so my greatest thing in how to solve that problem is get a dog. <laughs> but failing that if you're not inclined to do that you don't have to do it and you call can i've i've discovered a technique with service agencies if i stop going it's a huge problem mm -hmm. so if i keep walking sometimes they're taking me to where they decided they think i want to go particularly if it's a person with limited english mm -hmm. and that's scary because yes. you don't, you're not sure where you're going. You're, you're losing control because of language. Yes. Well, if I have time, and you don't always have time in air travel, but if I have time, I, my feet actually stop. Mm -hmm. And I say, I'm going to need you to find someone who can help us communicate because I'm having difficulty with that. Mm -hmm. And if I keep walking, they don't tend to do it because mm -hmm. I'm walking and they're moving. Right. But if I'm not moving, it's a big issue. And suddenly all the flags go up and they're on the phone. And they used to just call a coworker and speak in whatever language of their comfort that I usually don't know since I don't know many languages right. um, to try to solve the problem among themselves without me. So I found that technique to be very useful. And I've definitely employed it when I have time and feel the need to. Right. Well, that, that is a great technique. I had not considered that one before. I think most of us are, you know, pretty reactionary when that happens because you do feel threatened and it doesn't right. feel particularly safe or comfortable. So, And I've told the companies that I do that. I just mm -hmm. said, look, I do this and, and I've told other blind folks. We hopefully will soon have some final rules about service animals from the <laughs> Department of Transportation. You knew I was going to bring this up, right? 
<laughs> I'm knocking on wood. Uh, I am, I aren't am. we all? Aren't we all? So any thoughts about that whole process? Um, I was pretty intimately involved with it back in 2016 on the access committee. But um, any, any thoughts about the uh, notice of proposed rulemaking and how you think that's going to turn out? Well, we weighed in and we, you know, it's very difficult because, of course, some people who use ESAs may be people with disabilities, but of course, mm -hmm. if they are, they can train their animal, dog, Mm -hmm. to do things that qualify them as service dogs. So, um, yeah, we weighed in, and we've been close to that issue all along. I guess we kind of felt like emotional support animals were uh, a great experiment that probably went awry. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And also, people can have impairments that, aren't, that don't rise to the level of disabilities. Mm-hmm. And so the way I looked at it, uh, and, and Open Doors tended to agree, ultimately, that if you look at EEOC and employment stuff, there's a lot of people that they have impairments, mm -hmm. but do they significantly impair a major life function? Yeah. And, and they may or may not. Well, if they don't, then that person is not a person with a disability. And I, I basically said to Open Doors, I can tell you of the people I've met and talked to who I know fly with emotional support animals, none of those people would qualify under EEOC if they filed an employment complaint. Right. So why should they qualify for air travel, you know, et cetera? Mm -hmm. So, and, and all, a lot of times the process was, was being subverted by all the ways we know, you know, fake mm -hmm. stuff on dogs and, and fake letters and, and things mm -hmm. online that were, were not good. I did even have a chance to contact a Google person and tell them that I didn't think they should allow um, people to advertise because they were using it to subvert the law. Sure. Anyway, at least I got it kicked up to somebody. Uh, nothing ever <laughs> happened, but it made me feel better, at least for a day or two. Exactly. And it, it's a tough one because, you know, the, the what we call them the letter mills, you know, where medical yeah. people were providing these letters, that's probably right on the edge of fraudulent and, and right. illegal. And, you know, tackling it that way may be a better way to do it. But boy, good luck proving it because, you know, right. um, a good con artist really knows the system inside and out to be able to subvert it. So. United Airlines actually has a, a disability desk that actually mm -hmm. researches each one of those uh, support animal mm -hmm. letters and claims. And they actually uncovered a lot of the fraud. And at least, you know, by doing it one by one, they wouldn't allow it. And people started becoming aware that sometimes that was not going to work. Um, so I was glad they did that. And then a few more airlines started actually devoting the staff to doing mm -hmm. the research, et cetera. So as the country opens up and people begin to travel again, what would you recommend for someone with a disability to do or someone particularly who is blind or low vision to do in their travel process? Keep up with changes in your town. Like my city has actually blocked some streets in our sixth street area to allow pedestrians to have the the street to oh. social distance. 
So stay up to date with Twitter and news media and all that kind of stuff to find out. Expect there to be big changes everywhere you go. Mm. And to the extent you can use Ira, I, I've toyed with something with Ira, uh, and I learned this through doing Legos. I used to ask, do, do, looking at this picture and looking at my model, does this piece appear to go here when I wasn't mm-hmm. sure of the line-friendly directions? And they would say yes or no. Well, mm-hmm. what I failed to ask, is there anything else that doesn't match the picture? Uh-huh. <laughs> and it caused me to have to take out some Legos. Mm-hmm. So I think that bears true. If you have time, rather than trying to pick out each one of the changes made for for this time, maybe, you know, like, are there X's on the sidewalk and, you know, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. There may be things we don't know. I think a lot of times as blind people, we assume we know things when we don't know things. And so maybe it's a, would you just tell me as we go along any changes you see, because this is somewhere I frequent often. Mm-hmm. So I would like to know how the new setup is for COVID. And so maybe they'll describe where the sanitation stations are and maybe they'll decide. In fact, I read this morning, a lot of people are using the electronic doors because they can bump them with their hips and stuff. Oh, and they yes. have to touch them. So that may be another little trick people want to employ. Carrying things with you, carrying disinfectant wipes, gloves, paper towels, things that you can use yourself that you have on your body and you don't have to go find something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, carry your mask, carry maybe a, even a backup mask. I, that's the things I can think of. And then I don't know what it's gonna be like on clothing. And I mean, the hard thing is we all need to touch. Yes. And so that's why I'm gonna do gloves and hopefully I'll get to touch. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, otherwise you might as well just use Amazon. And we're getting to that time when, you know, the farmer's markets will be open, all the nice fresh fruits and vegetables are out there and right. being able to do what we typically do, touch and, and everything is going to be a little bit different. Now, you mentioned Disability Help Desk at United. Just for those who may not know, most of the airlines have that type of service, right? Um, fair amount of them do. United does, uh, uh, at least initially, did the fair about more, but it was sort of under the hood. You know, mm-hmm. people didn't know they were checking up on all those letters until mm-hmm. their letter bounced, <laughs> etc. But yeah, uh, you can still call airlines. It's harder to get through on the phones, but they still are helpful by phone. So if you would rather do that rather than using apps and using uh, websites, then all that's available. I will say there's going to be more need to do things independently at the airport. Like mm-hmm. now they're starting to require people to scan their own boarding passes. So uh. the first time you do it, learn which way it goes so you can actually hold it the right way. Learn about how high the machines are, you know, so that each so that you'll have that down for the uh-huh. next time you, you run into that now that's an interesting tip i had not thought of that and if you do your boarding pass on your phone please remember to turn your screen curtain off 
Um, <laughs> and turn your and turn your brightness and turn up. your brightness up. Yes, that was the one I always forgot was the yeah. brightness. And I've just started after all these years. I finally came to the party of doing your um, boarding pass on your phone, which is really great if you remember. I love it. Things. Yeah, not all mobile apps identify it properly. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you have it emailed to you, that one will work when yes. the one from the app did not. So uh -huh. that's a little trick uh, that you can use. So you can uh, kind of do it both ways as long as they can see that barcode on there somehow. That's uh, I've begun telling the mobile app people almost make it always say where it says where voiceover will say barcode. Yes. Because that's the key to know that you really have a boarding pass up. Yes. What about being prepared to, if you do go to, you know, uh, the, the Five Guys restaurant in the airport, or we're just picking on Five Guys because that's one of my favorites, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but let's say you go to one of the restaurants or stores, what can people expect, do you think? What, a uh, little bit less, not so much service, but a little less assistance, or how would we, how would we deal with that? It's kind of hard to know, you know, it, it may be that right now the assistance may be better because the number of people is down, yeah. <laughs> but as the number of people goes up, that may not be the case. Mm -hmm. I, we're seeing more and more tablet ordering, ah. but now that may be less because people have to touch things. So uh -huh. I think we'll see more paper menus which either Ira or your phone scanner might can read. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I would suggest, you know, getting getting good with a phone scanner or with Ira to do those things and getting getting there may be more like things in the way to there places are using objects to direct travel, ah. you know, so they're putting tables in the way. So you're going to find strange things in places where you think they don't belong. Aha. Uh -huh. So and that's good to know, cane or dog or illusion. Yeah, yeah, because your cane sometimes can go under those things. So mm -hmm. I would say we're going to have to slow down a little bit and expect changes, which is hard when you know what you know, you know, and you were good at it. But mm -hmm. the world has changed since you slept yeah. and maybe it changed <laughs> tomorrow since you slept. Mm -hmm. So it's and it's uh, it, and it's going to change as they allow a greater percentage of occupancy, all that will change. So even though you learn a new change, it won't be the change. <laughs> and as I found, um, it is going to test your O&M skills. And yes. if you don't feel confident, you know, that's okay because none of us feel confident right now. Right. Right. I would say slow down, expect, pretend that just like you change the furniture in your house, you have to teach yourself not to use muscle memory and go barging through because you're going to flip over everything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think we're going to have to slow down and tell ourselves that it's a whole new world because all of us run, you know, with a mental roadmap on familiar places. Sure. And suddenly they're not familiar. And, and often it's going to be strange objects in strange places. 
That is great advice. Thank you so much, Pat, for joining us today on IraCast. For the entire month of June, we are going to be talking about social distancing and other coping mechanisms with COVID-19. And we will be seeing some of Pat's writing on the subject. So stay tuned to our Ira social media feeds for a few activities that are going to be going on uh, involving this. I uh, would like to thank you again, Pat, and your lovely dog, who is featured in our Pet Picks Friday. Uh, <laughs> yes, she will. Iris will be featured, and she's been working hard. <laughs> oh, well, we're just taking over here. <laughs> yeah, That's absolutely. Wonderful. Well, she's adorable. So all the best to both of you, and uh, stay well and stay safe. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. more hands-free talk today with Emily Hill. Hello, Emily. Hi, Janine. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Well, we're going to be talking hands-free. We talked a lot about it on the Explorer call with lots of fantastic input from our explorers. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about hands-free from the agent's point of view. And one of the first things I wanted to ask was, um, when the agents are, you know, looking out and about and watching how other people in the public use their phones, I know many of us get a little self-conscious. So can you explain how other people actually, you might see them carrying their phones out and about? Oh, absolutely. So I would say that it is fairly common and normal for a person to be walking around in an area with their cell phone in their hand. Now, they could be doing all kinds of different things on their cell phone in their hand, anything from stopping to take a picture of something that catches their interest to texting. That's mostly what Uh, I see, (laughs) of course, Uh to playing a game on the phone while they walk or whatever it might be. And that is particularly true if a person is standing still at some point during their walk. So that could mean at the bus station or while they wait for the light to turn at an intersection. I would say that in all of those cases, as soon as a person is still, today it is very common to see them whip out their phone and change the music or text somebody or just even pretend like they're doing something so that nobody else talks to them. Right. See, it's not just us who do that, folks. Our secrets have been given away. (laughs) But I figure that, you know, since we see a lot of different phone cases and holders and lanyards and things like that, that people must have these around their necks at some point um, in their travels as kind of a quick and easy way to be able to reach their phones. Yeah, certainly. I see the lanyards less often. Mm -hmm. then I see people just holding their phone in their hand. But it is certainly a good option for people both sighted and blind who are looking for ways to maximize the number of hands that they have available to them. Right. And speaking of that, um, airports, all bets are off, right? Oh, yes. No, there are no rules in an airport. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to do a cane slash dog in one hand, suitcase in the other hand, and cup of coffee. And uh, I, you know, I still haven't quite figured that one out because I'm not smart enough to get the uh, little coffee thermos thing. So... (laughs) 
two recommendations, Janine. The first Ooh. is, of course, making friends with an octopus. Uh-huh. But other than that, <laughs> if you are a, a girl who likes purses, which oh, you told yeah. me before that you are, oh, sometimes yeah. I find that it's easier to put my coffee cup actually into a pocket on my purse to free up a hand but of course Funny you should mention that I actually did that the last time I was at the airport and it worked surprisingly well until I realized I didn't have one of those little coffee swords that you stick in the hole <laughs> I'm a little sloshing but uh, other than that it was uh, better than the alternative so um, <laughs> coffee sword is my new favorite phrase. Yes. But to circle back to hands-free in the airport, I would say that at the airport itself, it is common to see all kinds of people doing all kinds of different things. For our explorers getting ready for the airport, I hear most of our explorers use at least two different tactics that I hear come up most commonly in evaluating hands-free options. The first one is just a simple lanyard or pouch that goes around the neck. Mm-hmm. The second is a chest harness that the phone can be mounted to. And and as you head to the airport, I would say that the pouch or the lanyard is probably the best option simply because as you get ready to go through security, yes. you would need to take the chest harness off. And then on the other side of security, you would need to put that chest harness back on. So the pouch would make that a little bit more expedient. They're not exactly easy to get back on. So yeah. But I would say at the airport, take your time. Nobody nobody has expectations of anyone at the airport. So if you need to move off to the side and pack all of your items back up into your pockets or your jacket or wherever it is that you keep them, that's never uncommon to see that. I, every time I go through the airport, I see groups and groups of people restuffing their pockets with whatever uh, yes. it might be that they are carrying with them. So now let's talk about the view from the cameras of various phones. I know that we have had a real boon with the newer iPhones with the dual camera system, and I'm sure the Android phones with dual cameras. Let's talk a little bit about, first of all, where should my my phone be on my body for the best view? The most intuitive view is to keep your phone centered straight up and down in the center of your chest, pointing out away from you. So the agents use the camera on the back side of your cell phone. So always make sure to be pointing the back side of your phone at whatever the item is that you want the agents to see. Now, I am very aware, Janine, that people don't keep the phone at the center of their chest while they're walking around, and that's perfectly fine. Your hand will float to the direction of whichever side it is that you are holding the camera, and that is just fine for your agents as well. If there is something that we need to see one direction or the other, we will direct you to move the camera in that way so that we can get a better view of maybe it's the turn coming up or sometimes I've asked explorers to turn their phone all the way to the side where the buildings are so I can look for the address or the location name or whatever it is that they've asked me to look for. Mm -hmm. But as you're traveling straight down the street, some manner of in front of your chest or to one side or the other works just great. It does get a little bit harder if the camera is 
tilted in your hand. So instead of flat and straight up and down mm -hmm. or straight sideways horizontally, if it is at a slight angle, that can be harder for your agents. And so most of the time it won't be a problem for us at all. And we'll just continue with the task at hand. But sometimes we may ask you to re-straighten that instead of allowing it to maintain that angle. And it just depends on what we need to see all the way across the left and the right versus one side or the other. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think this is where if you're actually holding the phone in your hand, that's where the pop socket comes in really handy to be able Absolutely. to, you know, stabilize and, and uh, take a little bit of the pressure off your hand because that can be really tiring on your wrist to have to hold your phone, you know, um, straight up and down for a long time. Plus, phones are so large now that yes. it's hard to hold your phone <laughs> in your hand anyway. So the pop yeah. socket certainly makes that easier. Now, what about landscape versus portrait? Many people have a screen lock set on their phone, in which case you'll need to keep your phone straight up and down in portrait mode if screen lock is on. Otherwise, your agents will actually see a sideways video. <laughs> which so, is not fun, I'm sure. <laughs> well, it's okay. Sometimes um, it just makes for a good laugh. <laughs> but with the Explorer, of course. Uh, however, some Explorers prefer to hold their phone landscape mode. Some prefer to hold it portrait mode. Truthfully, it doesn't matter a lot what the way that you set your lanyard or phone pouch up to be like. Personally, I prefer when I'm holding my phone in my hand to do it portrait because my phone is thinner left to right than it is all yeah. the way across the phone. <laughs> and so I find that if I hold my phone personally, straight up and down across the bottom third of the phone is where I tend to hold it with my hand, then my agents, when I call in to do things like agent training or other test calls or whatever it is that I might be doing that day, that the agents can see a really stable view of what it is that I'm asking them to look at. Versus if I hold the phone horizontally and then try to hold the phone, then I get a little bit more wobbly in yeah. my personal hand in the way that I am trying to show my agents what it is that I want them to see. I would recommend just trying it out and making use of the free five-minute calls to call into your agents and actually practice or see what kinds of options work best for you as the explorer, rather than just going ahead with one option or the other. And that is great advice to actually give it a try with different kinds of things, your lanyard, your um, holding it in your hand, maybe other types of um, ways to carry your phone. Now, what about things that are up high? How do we best help the agents to see things that are kind of up high? That's a great question. Your agents will direct you when we need to see up in some manner that might sound like, Janine, can you point your camera up towards the sky about two inches or whatever it might be that we're trying to look at. And again, it, it's all very situational. So it could be if a sign at the airport, um, sometimes signs at the airport actually have text on both 
sides. However, the agent may need you to take a few steps backwards because the sign is only one directional or fill in the blank. I'm thinking also tree branches coming up ahead. Most of the time your agent will be able to see those things if because of the way that the camera works where you can see things about I'd say maybe 30 feet Mm -hmm. in advance uh, as the person is walking down the sidewalk. So your agent will be able to see there is a tree coming up. They may not yet be able to see details about how low the branches are, but they can tell you there's a tree coming up, point your phone up towards the sky about one inch as you continue to walk. And I'll keep an eye out for the branches is what that probably would sound Ah. like. Or at the airport, it could be, I see a sign coming up overhead, point your phone up towards the ceiling. And then I will ask you to pause in five feet so I can take a photo of the sign and zoom in and read exactly the direction that it yep. is that you need to go. Lots so of food court menus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, lots of Definitely. food court menus done that way. Well, now we've we've talked a little bit about a little bit about moving. My final question about moving is the 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 jiggle <laughs> to put it oh so delicately. Um, if somebody's walking fast and the phone is maybe bouncing a little. How can we minimize the movement of the phone for the agents? Because that's got to be no fun to to have to watch. (laughs) I would say don't worry about it. So uh, your agents have tactics in, in their pocket that we can use to kind of minimize some of the potential for motion sickness and imagining Uh, Someone wearing a lanyard leaning down so that the Mm -hmm. lanyard is swinging freely instead of being on your body. As your agent, I can just simply look away while that happens. If you're asking me to read something while the lanyard is swinging free away from your body, I may ask you to hold it and stabilize that swing so that I can get a still view of the item it is that you're asking me to look at. But for the most part, I would say that is not something that needs to be worried about. Right. Well, I do appreciate it. (laughs) That's good to know. And I think more of the the phones have a a video stabilization feature too, to help avoid some of that. They do. Um, And then of course, it is a video camera. So the more quickly that you move, the less fine detail that I'll be able to see as your agent. The more slowly you move, the more fine details the camera can actually pick up to transmit to me. So everything is situational, as I mentioned, but if you are traveling quickly, there is no need to slow your normal pace if you are a fast walker. Continue as you're going and just know that if you are asking me for exact details, such as what did that sign say that I passed 20 feet ago, Uh I would have needed you to slow down for me to see that. But if you're just asking me for what's the next intersection, okay, I'm familiar with that, I'm continuing, then there is no need at all to slow down. Now, let's talk hands-free when we're not moving. During the Explorer call, this was brought up, and uh, you had mentioned it prior to our talk here. Um, Let's say I'm cooking. Or I'm reading a bunch of mail. How can I stabilize my phone? What's going to be best to do that? 
I have seen some really cool tabletop stands for cell phones, Janine. So these are stands that would sit flat on the table and then you would place your phone into the top of it. Then the camera peeks out over the edge and it therefore remains completely still while the Explorer simply slips information underneath that camera so that the agent can read it. I have seen explorers really enjoy using this because it makes it faster to read a whole bunch of items such as a pile of mail as you can have things in two hands and read this, okay, read that, okay, read this, and just be able to switch information in and out really quickly. Emily, is there anything else that we should know about going hands-free? Keep an open mind and experiment a little bit. There's lots of options out there that may work for you or may not work for you. And as you are learning more about ways that you like to use IRA, then you'll find different methods fit into those types of categories. You may have a lot of different tools for different situations. So thank you so much, Emily Hill. And we love all of the updates from Agent Land and love it when you join us. I'll join anytime. Thanks for having me, Janine. (laughs) Thank you. In our Agent Spotlight this time around, we welcome Gwen Ross. Hello, Gwen. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, the first question that we ask everyone is, how did you come to IRA? What got you interested in IRA? Well, I actually heard about IRA from our new CEO, Troy, in a random post that he made on Next Door Neighbor. It turns out we're neighbors. And (laughs) I was going through a post, I was reading about somebody's lost dog and right below or above that post. I can't remember, but it was something along the lines of want to work remotely from home while helping others. And of course that piqued my interest. So I clicked on it and read about Ira for the first time and was blown away and applied that day. And everybody who thinks all those neighborhood bulletin boards are like, oh, that's just a bunch of gossip. See, you (laughs) never know. It could lead to a career. Wow. That's right. Tell us a little bit about um, what you do at Ira, because you are—you've uh, been with us for quite a while now, three years. You said so. What is is your responsibility? You are more than just an agent, right? Yes, I'm also part of our lead agent team, so I help support other agents on their shifts with any troubleshooting they might run into or accessing information, as well as like daily duties of switching out schedules if they're needed housekeeping stuff like attendance. And it's it's been great. I love working with our agents in that capacity and supporting them and being available. So tell us a little bit about Gwen the person, besides well, being Troy's neighbor. <laughs> yep. I'm a mom of three boys and my oldest is about to go into middle school. Oh boy. <laughs> yep. They keep me busy. My I bet. Second job outside of Ira is being their chaperone, so driving them (laughs) to various sports and activities, which is fun. I have a background in social work, so I have a master's in social work and um, used to work with children and foster care, and I still do some volunteer work for them. Yeah, I've been married for almost 20 years, and 
starting to dabble and getting involved with some politics on the side, which is fun and just getting more active in my community. And then the question everybody wants to know, any pets? Uh, yes, we have a standard poodle named Poppy that we rescued about oh. two years ago. We also have a bearded dragon and oh two my. tortoises. All right. <laughs> Excellent. Full of boys. <laughs> I was just going to say, anytime you can have dragons, that's always good for me. Now, the big fun, what are some of your favorite Ira experiences? Oh, Gosh, you know, early on, one of my first calls that I took that has stayed with me all this time was working on a Dyson animal vacuum cleaner with an explorer. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, those are some difficult vacuums that come very unassembled. Uh, tell and... me about it. I was just going to say, gee, now I know who to, who to, you know, talk to about mine. <laughs> It was an amazing experience. Um, the Explorer was super fun to work with. We had many laughs while we tried to figure out how to connect the different tubes. And uh, while I would watch YouTube videos, because, of course, the directions are all very two-dimensional, oh, which yeah. doesn't always translate. And so it was such a sweet success. And she could not wait to share uh, her accomplishment with her husband that she had done it all on her own without him there. And Oh, I was so excited for her. She was so, it was hard to not feel her contagious excitement. <laughs> but then I've also had demos. One of them that stands out and always well was an OT class for children who were blind or low vision. And I would say they were all under the age of 10. And um, yeah, their amazement at Ira and the excitement of just describing the room. And they had all their games were decorated with various little animals and uh, unicorns and fun colors. And so it was so cool to just see them amazed at the technology and then so thrilling for me that we're going to be a part of their future and making the world a little bit more accessible. So that was really neat. I love working the holidays too. I love opening Christmas presents and oh, describing yeah. people's faces <laughs> or we just picked out Valentine's Day cards with people for Ooh. Valentine's. So it's just, it's fun. Oh, to wow. uh, be a part of that. And it's an honor to be a part of holidays whenever anybody calls into IRA. Have you ever done a Christmas lights description? Those always I, look like so much fun. And I always forget to go out when, you know, the season comes around. And I think, oh, I should have done that. <laughs> yeah, we've actually had a couple of groups that have gone out and done it. And so I've yeah. taken a couple of those calls, which are fun, because then some of the explorers are together talking to different agents and just the group contagious excitement of, oh, look over to the right. There's, you know, a waving Santa Claus. It's fun. For everybody listening who is thinking, you know, maybe I want to know what it might take to become an agent or I know somebody who would, what would you say uh, somebody would need to think about if they want to become an agent? What do you think they should do, actually? Uh, when I first heard about Ira, I remember listening to the podcasts and watching the videos on our website and just trying to absorb all the different ways that the technology is used. I also started paying very close attention to Google Maps and navigation skills, and then just really starting to view the world around you with a different set of eyes, a descriptive set of eyes. So 
um, looking at things and thinking, how would I describe that? Or while you're out walking in your neighborhood, thinking in terms of your location to other things, like you have a clear path in front of you and four feet on the right is a fire hydrant, because you can start practicing those really important navigation skills with your own life. I think that's what I would recommend for people who are interested in applying. That's great advice. That was one I haven't heard yet, actually, is kind of practice, you know, in your own life. That probably makes you notice many, many more things that you wouldn't have noticed before, I would think. Right. It does. Well, thank you so much, Gwen, for being in the agent spotlight. And we look forward to working with you out there. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And you have a great one. For listening to this episode of IRECast, a production of IRA Tech Corp. To learn more about our visual interpreting service, go to our website, www.ira.io. You can also call our customer care team at 1 800 835 1934 or email us at support at ira.io. This has been your producer and host, Janine Stanley, for IRECast.